Welcome to The Sendcast. My name is Dale Pickles and I'm the host of The Sendcast. We started the podcast a few years ago as a way to help improve knowledge around SEND. There is lots of stuff to read, but we're all very busy and don't have time to sit and read. Everyone working in schools needs training and support around special educational needs and disability, but the funding isn't there to achieve this. We created the Sendcast to help try and solve that problem, to help make schools more inclusive, to help teachers be teachers of SEND and help support staff be more aware. The Sendcast is also a great way to get the same consistent message to schools and parents. Now every week on the Sendcast we have a different guest that I have invited on to talk about a specific area. My guest this week is Finton O'Regan. Finton has been a head teacher, lecturer for Leicester University and now works as a trainer and consultant for schools and school support systems. In this episode, we're talking about neurodiversity in schools and how a whole school approach is not just for the staff, but the entire school community, for students and parents as well. So, the Sendcast. The Sendcast is created and produced by us here at B Squared. Over the last 25 years, B Squared have supported schools to show small steps of progress for students with SEND. Over the last few years, we have diversified. For years, we focus on that assessment. It will always be our main focus, but we have also seen a lack of high quality, easy to access training and CPD for schools around SEND. Our online CPD offering, Training for Education, started two years ago with a virtual SEND conference, but now includes a range of training courses as well as our conferences. You can find out more about our conferences and training courses, including Finton's training course, by going to the Training for Education website, www.trainingforeducation.com. At the end of the episode, I will be sharing a discount code just for you, so keep listening. Let's get on with the podcast. In this week's show, we're discussing neurodiversity in schools and how a whole school approach is not just for the staff, but for students and parents as well. My guest is Finton O'Regan. Finton is a trainer and consultant for schools and school support systems, including social services, health, the police and foster carers. He's worked with a number of organisations, including Nason, Institute of Education, Leicester University, the UK ADHD Network and the European ADHD Alliance. And before this, he was a head teacher of a specialist school for students with ADHD, ASD and ODD. Finton is a regular here in our studios. He's recorded a number of episodes of the Sendcast already. He's a regular speaker at our virtual Send conferences and has recorded a training course for us around exclusions. Welcome back to the show, Finton. Good morning, Dale. It's great to be back in the studio with you. Excellent. Um, so neurodiversity is a term that everyone in the school community should be aware of, not just the teachers, but the students and also the parents of more traditional learners. There can be a lot of misunderstanding because the wider community is unaware of neurodiversity and this can then cause wider issues. Yes, I think so. I mean, I think what we're trying to do is is obviously make people more aware of how people um, think and act differently. I think, um, you know, in terms of diversity, we've been doing a very good job with that in a number of other areas, particularly in over the years, I think, with racial differences and also now with, um, you know, LGBT sort of issues. So I think I think neurodiversity appears to be the last area, really, that we really need to be covering, because I think while staff are becoming gradually aware of some of the differences in how pupils and students learn and behave, 
I think the areas that we really do all need to be transferring this in is, is, is to the whole school community so the other students can also understand why someone sitting beside them is acting in a different way. They know they're different, they don't know why. And also I think the other area is that um, we talk about schools being inclusive and I think where the, the parents of the non-traditional learners obviously appreciate this, maybe parents of more traditional learners may be asking questions about why their son or daughter is sitting beside someone in class who does appear to be so different. I just don't think those areas have been covered. So I really think that it isn't just about the staff. And, and I'm assuming in, you know, that most staff are now getting the sort of knowledge and training about neurodevelopmental differences. That is an assumption. It's not the case in all schools. But it's certainly the case that, in, in my experience, that the pupils and the parents of the non-traditional learners don't seem to have any kind of real information about this area. So if we really want to make this a, a whole school inclusive approach, we need to be including the staff, parents and the pupils. For schools, it can be hard working out how to share and how much to share because if there is an issue in the school and the parent phones up, says there's a child here, blah, blah, you can't actually share any information about that child. You can't even say, okay, so what do you think? Are, you, are you even allowed to say, well, that's a neurodiverse child, so therefore this. you kind of got to walk around that specific incident and you've got to give more general information, but if you gave that generally more information first, it kind of reduces the instant fallout, doesn't it? Yes, it does. And I think that's why you're right. Obviously, we have to be very careful about protecting the individual um, the situation in terms of the, the rights and responsibilities of the individual, obviously, any legal issues, and also to do with, you know, to do with basically uh, the fact that every incident is a separate one. And there is some degree of you can't share the information about someone else's situation or to a certain extent diagnosis, you know, that's something for them. So I think the answer really is, is that is actually to meet this more generally. So like, for example, we have done a, a really good job, I think, with sharing with the pupils about differences in society in many other areas. And I think neurodiversity is now necessary to be treated in that way. So, for example, myself, when I, if I go into a school now and I'm doing a session at the end of the day for the staff on ADHD or neurodiversity or on learning differences, I will always ask whether I can do a session with the pupils. And what happens with the pupils, and as being an ex-science teacher anyway, what I do is I meet the pupils and we have sort of a half an hour or so with them and I show them some slides. And I'm not pointing out individuals that in the school who have certain traits of anything else. I talk to them about diversity, which they've already got because they understand diversity. I talk about the science of neurology, about why people think differently. So as an ex-science teacher, I show them some diagrams about the brain and therefore we put the two things together. And what that then means is that they get some understanding about terms like ADHD and ASD, which they've heard about, but just don't know what it really is. And then they start thinking differently about why that person might act in a certain way. And as opposed to sort of seeing them as a little bit odd or a little bit quirky, they sort of understand now that they have a different rhythm to how they learn. And this, I think, will prevent an awful lot of issues of misunderstanding of, of why pupils work in a certain way. And it will definitely, and I will make this point, absolutely reduce the instances of bullying. Because if you are different in a school, you are often seen as a victim or a target and my pupils will prey on you. But if they understand why you're different, you get a much greater 
input from what I always call who are the, the, the bystanders. These are the sort of like the, the people who really hold the balance really of power in, in bullying in a school because you have the bully, you have the target and you have the bystanders. And in most cases, bystanders tend to follow the bully. If you get this idea across about why people are different, you get the bystanders acting far more proactively on behalf of the victim or the target. I keep trying to say things. I go, no, no, don't say that. That kind of implies, and it's, and then one of the things you talk about is uh, maybe not disorder. It's a difference and things like that. And it is, it's, it's explaining that maybe that people see the world differently. It's not a choice thing. It's yeah. not a fault thing either. Yeah. Yeah. It is. They see the world differently. They understand the world differently. They perceive interactions differently. So there's lots of differences it can cause. Yeah. And as you said, if people are aware of that, when they see something happening, yeah. that bystander might sit there and go, well, no, he's not being mean, he's not doing that, he's not doing that. He's Exactly in the same way that we've covered diversity in other areas and walks of life. And children in particular are so much more open-minded, I would say, now, or they always have been open-minded, but they need direction. And, and then what we've done, you know, in so many other forms of diversity is we've basically opened up the conversation and we've given children the understanding. And so therefore their assessment of things is much more open-minded, is much more, I don't want to use the word tolerant, it's just more understanding and they don't see that, that there's an issue. They actually go with it. It's like, it's the norm to be different if that makes sense, in certain other areas. And I think if you've got someone, you know, who has autistic features, who can be a bit insular, might be a bit robotic in how they see the world, you know, doesn't like a lot of change, is not very flexible, and might, you know, in a way react in a, in a situation when he feels, feels anxious, you know, people will just say, well, he's, why is he doing that? If you understand a little bit about the, you know, the traits of ASD and how that affects certain people, people start understanding and they start sort of, in my experience, being very supportive of that child and, and trying themselves to help reduce anxiety if they see him or her feeling that way. With ADHD, you've got someone who is very overactive in the class. And again, that person could be preyed on by other pupils who want to see him flare. If you get the understanding that why he's doing, he can't quite help himself. You do get some pupils who will obviously take the opportunity to have him be the class clown, but you'll get more pupils who will intercede on behalf of minimising the impact of that. And that's been my experience. And as I said before, we always talk about knowledge being power. And if you do it in a way which is, you know, we are, we are all different, but some of our brains work in a different way, a, you've got a science lesson going on, and B, you've got people understanding why people act differently, who look the same, but act differently. And I think that's very powerful. I think funny is, you know, about that class clown thing is how that child who's seeing the class clown, one minute, you can go from them saying, oh, it's just so annoying. You, you, you'll see, oh, I wish he'd stop. I, why, exactly. why, is, why is he yeah. such to... Yeah. Okay, he's not doing this because he just wants. There's reasons he's doing this, which he kind of can't help. So that will change that child's perception, yeah. but it will also it will change how that child tells someone else about the incident. Absolutely. And children, as I said before, they know they're different and they just don't know why. And for example, if you are going to do something different, like say, for example, you're going to give someone who is 
very fiddly and, and really can't sit still. If you only give him, you know, a tangle toy or a concentrator, when I go to training, the staff say, all, all the other pupils will want one. And the truth of the matter is the first day, some of them will. The second day, few of them will. And the third day, they won't because basically he'll probably be annoying them less. He'll be more engaged in the thing. But if you've already got that across the reason that he needs something because he's different, then they, you know, you will minimise the impact of them saying, why is he getting this and why is he getting that? People don't argue if someone wears a pair of glasses. They know that person's got a, a visual difficulty. They don't say, I want a pair of glasses. They understand that someone who's wearing a pair of glasses needs it to help them see. And that's what we're trying to say, is get that same kind of emphasis across. Because if you have a physical difference, no one argues about that. You know, if someone needs crutches or someone needs a ramp in the wheel, no one says, I want a ramp, I want crutches. They understand that person is different. We've got to get the same thing across in a, from a neurological point of view that people just because they look the same means that they need some differences. And I always use that term, which is fairness isn't giving everyone the same, it's giving them what they need. And kids, if you give them that landscape for them to understand, they will see that as fair. They won't have an argument about it. And just going back to those crutches, is if a child turns up in school with crutches, that first day, it is the highlight of the day. Oh, probably, They, yeah. get, they get stolen, <laughs> they get run down the corridor, and the kids <laughs> get do. really stressed, but they get yeah. returned because someone yeah. has, understands yeah. they need yeah. it, so it gets returned. And yeah. someone's, can I have a go? Yeah. And people have a go. Then day two, as you said, that is worn off, and everyone's generally supportive. So... They are children, as I said, as I say, they can be, look, we know that children can prey on other pupils. They can wind them up. We know that. But, and you'll get some of those people as well. But what we always want in those instances, we want the, the mass, if you like, to act on behalf of the target, which will happen if they feel that they can actually understand why he or she is different. That's my point. Yep. And you're absolutely right. You know, I think crutches are brilliant fun for everybody. And every, and the people who like using them are the people who don't need to use them. But, you know, what happens is people get tired of that and they give them back. And, and then you find people opening the door. You find people, you know, relatively, you know, physically opening the door for someone, yep. letting them go first. Now, you know, it's the same sort of principle in this particular case. That's what we want. We want greater understanding. I mean, I was into a school in, in Devon some years ago and there was a girl there who, who literally, halfway through the lesson, she essentially couldn't deal with it anymore. She became so frustrated. She did pretty well for half less, but then she'd get up. She was, she was only about nine or ten and, and, and she'd get up and she'd walk over the tables to go out of the classroom, you know. So in, when I went to the class, I said, well, look, you know, obviously this is a good idea, walking over the tables. So what we did was we moved her desk near to the door. So if she needed to get it, now this wasn't a perfect solution, but what she would still do every now and again, she would do it less, but she near the end of the lesson, because we did other things to the programme and the schedule, she'd get up and, and she'd walk over a couple of desks to the door. So it was minimising. Now, what happened in this situation, the other kids didn't react in a way in fact, when she was walking over them, she was very careful to step on them and, and they were still writing around her. They weren't getting up and walking over. They knew that she needed to walk over the desk. And that was a more extreme example when people say, oh, if you allow someone to do something, the other kids, they weren't. They knew that she, it wasn't a great thing she was doing, but they understood that she was different. And, you know, and that, by the way, she's not walking over desk anymore because we've minimised and we've changed the schedule. We've made some changes so she works in a different area area when she's frustrated now but it's the process I'm talking about and the fact that the other pupils 
knew she was different. As I say, writing around her while she was walking over the desk was something I hadn't seen before, but they knew she was different, but they didn't know why. Yeah, I think it is. With kids, anything new is always so much fun. And you can literally go to, as it gets warmer, the tractor comes along to mow the grass. Mm. And the windows, they, that first open window, everyone gets distracted by this tractor mowing the grass. And that lesson is a nightmare. A couple of weeks later, he's back. Everyone, I did that last time. I moved on. It's different. It's, and I think, yeah, a lot of things, it is, you react to something new. The first time it's happened, you react. The second time you happen, yeah, all right, it's that again. Okay. It's very, very true. You know, we, we basically adapt and become more familiar with those things. And what we're trying to do, obviously, is, and I will make this point, inclusion is learning rights for everybody. I always want to make that point. It, it is learning rights for traditional learners as well. And it's their rights. We need to, what, what we're trying to do is square the circle. We're trying to increase the productivity across the school community. And how we'll do that is getting a much more neurodiverse sort of awareness of how people work differently. The other area, as I said, just to make that point, we, if we work with the pupils, but we do also need to make sure that when uh, parents come to a, a new school, they know the term inclusion. They've probably heard of it, but do they really understand what it really means? And as I said before, the parents of the neurodiverse ones will probably have chosen that school for many reasons. One will be because of their their pastoral and their behavioural and their ability to sort of meet the needs or traits of their child. But we also need to reach out to the pupils of the traditional learners so they understand their children are in a school which is an inclusive school. And I think, again, we need to make that point much more clear at the start as opposed to if an incident happens between two pupils and then the pupil of the non-traditional learner is very you know is saying well why is this pupil in the school because that's been my experience Dale over the years we get these situations and they say well why are they here this is not a school for autism and it's probably not a school it's a school for all pupils because there is no such thing as an autistic child or a dyslexic child. They're a child with traits of, and that's what we've got to try and get across. And we are all on this spectrum, as we all talk about and know, but people are at different levels on that spectrum. Yeah, I think it is inclusive. When you talk about it in there, is you can kind of hear that some parents will just hear that as a negative. Oh, oh, I didn't realise it was an inclusive school. Oh, my, my child's grades will suffer. Yeah. And again, so... It's got to be delivered that it's not a negative. It's got to be delivered as a bonus. And you do have to champion that neurodiverse doesn't mean bottom set, troublemakers, exclusions, detentions, worse grades. You've, you've got to sit there and say they can still achieve. They're the same, but they just see it differently. They, things impact them differently and they just need some adjustment. Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, we live in a world where we have all the people around us are different. And the thing is, when we need the people who think differently, I think there's been lots of examples of that recently, you know, and it's not to say that because you have Asperger's, you'll all be a computer whiz kid in the future. But we do need those people who do think differently, because they are the people who will discover and will will create, you know, different options for us in the future. And it is actually, to be honest with you, it is one of those um, slight anomalies that schools tend to go for compliance. They want people who think in the same sort of way. It's actually interesting that business and industry, they want innovation. They want people who think differently. 
Now, the issue is, is, is obviously you're going to have some people who are going to think differently, but while they're thinking differently, they might act differently too. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to nurture all persons, but some people who are a bit more quirky than others, they need the understanding about why they're quirky. And that's really what we're talking about. I mean, we've always known that there's certain people who are different, but we just haven't understood why. And in my generation, you tended to judge them quite harshly. You tended to judge them in a way which was, oh, maybe it's something the parents didn't do or they're from that family. You know, it's not something that is new, but now we're understanding that it's not just because you come from a certain family. It's something neurological in the child that makes them different. And I think we've progressed so much. I have a book um, which um, I, I use sometimes in training to show how much we've come in this. And it's, it's essentially, it's a 1952 edition of uh, a book called Teaching Backwardness. And it's a fourth edition of a book. Because back in 1952, that's what we were calling dyslexia. We were calling, you know, individuals who couldn't read or we knew were bright. We were saying they were backward. And you were, you were writing a book about teaching backwardness. You know, if we look at where we've come in the last 50, 60 years, we're not saying that anymore. We're understanding that people aren't backward, they're different. And that's what we want to be trying to do in neurodiversity to catch up, I would say, with some of the other areas of diversity that thankfully we now also are much more open-minded and much more aware about. I've not heard that term backward for a very long time. <laughs> yes, but yeah, it is. We, we have changed. We've come a long way. And we talked about making parents more aware and parents can be very supportive and very dangerous because generally especially secondary school and older children where those children walk to and from school on their own and then they arrive home and you say how was your day and then that child retells the story the parent would just react from what that child saw so if the child is kind of not neurodiverse aware then the parent won't be and their parent will hear something and might be calling up the school the next day. So if you can make the child more aware and more understanding, they will tell that story in a different way and that parent will hear that story in a different way. And as I say, you don't have to say David's got autism, has autistic traits, David has ADHD, this girl has you don't have a good you just have to make people aware that people are different without identifying anyone. And then hopefully when people hear these things, they might go, okay, might be neurodiverse. I think yeah, it's a really good way you say that because it, you know, obviously the child will be transmitting the information and, you know, we're not always, and the parents obviously want to protect their child. And, and, you know, and if the information is coming in that, you know, their child was being bothered in class or the teacher was spending all that time with one pupil, then obviously their kind of feelings are, well, this pupil shouldn't be in the school and this pupil is denying my child the opportunity. If the child says, well, Darren was really um, upset today because something happened and there was some reaction to the situation, then obviously the message the parent gets is a very different message. And it's not to say, and if it happens all the time, I suspect like all parents, we'd be concerned about that. What we're trying to do is get people to be more aware of some of the differences in terms of how other people react in, in, in situations. And I think as an inclusive society, you know, that can only be good. It's not to say that 
some parents aren't aware about this and aren't being sort of open-minded or being more alert to some of these differences. But I just think, you know, in my experience, that I just think we can do a much better job with both the pupils, like I said before, and with the parents of the non-traditional learners. And if there's some kind of presentation within the overall induction process when the pupils first go to the school, I think that's a start. That's where it should be. That kind of element of talking about that, about the school that their child is going to at the very start would be a very good idea. And I I don't think that takes place. I know there's a lot of things you've got to cover in those induction meetings and, and when you're going there. But I just think, you know, 15 minutes on that particular area could be a real investment of time. I think it is you're setting the expectations of the parent because a lot of parents will think back to when their child starts secondary school. You think back to your secondary school. You think back to your experiences and you could have had a nightmare because of a child in your class who you still haven't realised they're they're worth neurodiverse because you haven't understood that yet. But it also might have been to a very strict school with lots of homework and very regimented and that's what you're expecting for your child. Yeah. And that's not what schools are like these days. They're not that regimented. They're more relaxed. You've got to help those parents manage those expectations of what the school will be like generally, but also that there are going to be children with differences in lots of different ways, as you mentioned, LGBTQ and various other things, and that they're all accepted and supported and celebrated. Absolutely. I mean, I think you talk about our school days and, and, you know, a generation ago, we probably weren't using as many terms. And I I will make the point, I do talk more about traits than terms myself. To a certain extent, schools were less inclusive. We had a lot more what we call sort of specialist schools versus traditional schools. And that thankfully has changed. And now we have more inclusive schools. And so there are some differences in in the rhythms, if you like, and in the sort of ways in which the sort of like the schools are run. We are a more inclusive school community. I think for parents, particularly for those who are not aware of this, I think they hear it, but they don't really know what it means until there's an incident that maybe their child's involved. And I think there's the other issue that the terms themselves, autism, ADHD, even dyslexia, will be terms that parents will be aware of, but possibly the way in which they interpret what those terms mean has been somewhat mixed in terms of what they've heard in the media or of what they see in a character on television. And I think we also need to I don't know whether you use educate parents, but there's a way of explaining what these terms actually do mean as opposed to what you might interpret them to mean via the various sources of information where you've had them from. Yeah, because I think especially when you've got, there's a couple of programmes out there depicting a child with autism, autistic traits, and you might sit there and go, oh, so that's autism. No, no, that's, that's one flavour. <laughs> I mean, I think, you know, I'm of a certain generation that when I grew up, the word autism probably meant Dustin Hoffman in The Rain Man. You know, that was the sort of experience I had of it until I, as you said, I found that it's a spectrum condition and there's so many different aspects of that. And you can have people who have more mild, moderate and there are severe and you usually would not have severe 
autism in a mainstream school. Let's make that true. But you will have mild to moderate. So if you hear the word autism, you'd be like, oh, whereas we need to get that information across that as a school, we will have individuals now who will have mild to moderate traits of ASD. You know, they won't have a hat on saying they do. It will just be sort of something that people will basically understand by the way they learn and why they behave. So therefore, it becomes something that is not a shock to people when they find out they're sitting beside or a parent finds out their child is sitting beside someone who has these traits. I find it interesting because you do have as you Rain Man and you have these characters who are said to be autistic or have autism. It's a very big thing. But as you learn all about neurodiversity and all these things and you learn all this stuff and you start watching other films, you sit there and going, you can literally just see, I'm going to say regular, typical characters and you start seeing the traits in them. So they're portraying a real life story or something. You're going, wow, there's a certain number of traits in that character, but they're not really picked out because they weren't designed to be. And you literally look at lots of things like that. Like you can go back to like Alan Turing and things yeah. like that and yeah. look at certain yeah. traits and go, yeah. very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that's right. I mean, when I do courses uh, on this, you know, I, I I always joke that. So once we leave the room, that the delegates there will probably go back and start, you know, diagnosing their neighbours, you know. And, and I think, you know, once you have a bit of knowledge about this, you know, you start sort of looking at you start looking at people differently. I'll be honest with you. I mean, I have a a friend. I used to run a football team on a Saturday morning, and uh, you know, it was one of those games where you, you have to turn up and you have to put the posts together and make the goals. It was only under nines or under tens, whatever. And um, and you know, you get there, and the parents would see that needs to be done. And I was trying to get the team warmed up, and most of the parents would go in and make the goals. And there was a parent that I won't say his name, but he was a surgeon. He was obviously a, obviously a highly intelligent person who would stand there on the touchline and he would just stand there and watch all the other parents doing this. And I used to hear the parents grumbling, saying that, you know, the said parent was just, he thought he was too good to help and everything else. And, you know, and he, he wasn't, he wasn't sort of mucking in, so to speak. So I went over to this parent one day and I, his name wasn't, I'll just, his name his name wasn't Tom, but I'm going to call him Tom. I said, um, Tom, would you like to um, help put the um, the goals up with the other parents? And he said, sure. Now, the question is, is that Tom was one of those guys who had probably Aspergic features, always had them growing up, probably misunderstood in terms of social relationship and things like that. It wasn't that he didn't want to put the goals up. He hadn't been asked. He hadn't understood the social nuance about joining in. Had he been asked to do it, he would have done it. That misunderstanding and people were judging him for being, you know, too good or rude or whatever was just based on a misunderstanding of his learning traits. Now, you know, we're not saying that everyone will be like that and and will have a a neurodiverse issue, but we are saying that if people are reacting and, and doing things differently, there's usually a reason why they're doing it. And by a little bit more awareness of how certain people see the world, it might well help you in social settings and will help them as well. Definitely. Liz, there's lots of things like that. And you say you watch various films, you'll think back to situations in your life and you'll be going, ah, oh, that, makes, that makes a bit more sense. The person themselves may not even be aware. 
I mean, we go back to the fact as a generation, I give an example of this chap who I believe, you know, has obviously, he's obviously had a very successful career. But I think probably friendships at school. I do know that he didn't enjoy school. He certainly didn't enjoy having a chat to him afterwards. You know, sometimes he was bullied at school and particularly unstructured times. He, he, you know, he always found that very difficult, the break times and lunch times. And this is really at the core of what we're trying to get across. We're trying to get across the fact that people who are different are understood for being different. So uh, the others around it can actually involve them in things and also maybe learn that how they see the world differently, how to approach them and never to assume that, you know, they will just muck in, you know, they will need to be almost asked to come in. And once that happens once or twice, if you were younger, then obviously your, your experience in getting involved in these things would have been better. You know, I dare say Tom today would not be the Tom he is in the future, so to speak, because he would have learned, he was also learned in social settings sometimes that it's okay to ask, can I be involved? That makes sense. Yeah. I think some people sit there and go, oh, there's a lot going on, we can't change or we can't expect to do that. And I I think the last year with COVID, all the changes that have gone on is everyone's adapted because they had to. Now, some of those adaptions people will stick to, some of them they won't. But we've all adapted to not walking up to each other and shaking each other's hands. I remember Finton, the first few times we go, we go, they go, nope, and we sort of point elbows at each Correct. other. Yeah. And now, with a, a year later, I'm not even shaking your hand, Finton. Yeah. Don't take offence, yeah. but, yeah. but you, you, you adapt. <laughs> yeah. And then, so it's not saying you can't adapt. You learn as you go, you accept kind of social norms of this is how things are. And all we're asking people to do is be slightly more open to change. Yeah. Like I said before, it, it, diversity, we have become far more, I'm going to say open minds, probably not the right word, we're just, just more aware uh, that, that, you know, that we need to be aware of the issue of diversity, that people do think and behave differently. And by understanding that, you stop judging them in the same ways. And I think... So the argument of that, you know, I know people will say, well, and you're absolutely right, we have adjusted in the last year, you know, people are becoming more used to, you know, they go out and they have their phone, they have their keys and they have their face mask, you know, you've changed behaviour, you know, and we are learning social distancing, you know, we, we are learning how to greet differently, we are learning how to pay for things digitally, pay for things digitally. Yeah. Yeah. We're learning, uh, you know, there's lots of sorts of skills that people have picked up, you know, the whole zoom area as well. I was going to say that in terms of, you know, the issue of, do we have the time for this? In my experience, behavior issues in school take a lot of time. If you have an incident between two pupils, that can take a great deal of time in terms of the meetings, you know, the forms to fill out, you know, the phone calls and so on and so forth. In my experience, investment of time up front in doing, you know, what we're trying to talk about today will save you a lot of time in misunderstandings and incidences in the future. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So uh, I'm going to quote Super Nanny here. I'm not able to love Super Nanny. I hate, I don't know. I, there are certain things I watched on Super Nanny before I had children made so much sense to me. And the one which always stands out is going on a shopping trip. Mm-hmm. You see these parents rushing around a supermarket with their kids really unhappy, screaming, playing up, being dragged along, but all these sorts of things. And I, I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be a parent like that because that looks mm-hmm. so stressful. Mm-hmm. Not really for the child, but for me, I don't want to be stressed like a lot. Mm-hmm. And what Super Nanny said is, if you don't prepare, you have a big fallout. 
So yeah. Yeah. you end a nightmare shopping trip. You hate the shopping trip. You dread the week. You dread everything. It becomes a whole, going to that supermarket becomes a big negative and you know it's going to go bad and it's a, it happens. And she just said, if you plan and put a bit of effort in beforehand. So we wrote a shopping list with my daughters and mm. she would hold mm. a shopping list. And, I go, and she couldn't read at the time. Mm. And we'd try and run, I mean, like, find a cucumber. Generally, I gave her stuff to do. So I'd get 10 things, she'd get one thing. We'd move on, she'd get one thing, I'd get 10 things. Mm. And we'd get through the supermarket shop. I'm not saying it would always work, but by putting that preparation in before, it Mm. made the Mm. whole thing, I'm not going to say shopping is enjoyable, but Mm. it made it non-eventful. We got through it, it was quick, it was easy, and we moved on. Mm. And it does save a lot of time, a lot of effort. It's emotionally much better for me because I'm not dreading and I think lots of things have that same impact. I, I would totally agree. There's a, there's a term, isn't it? Fail to prepare, prepare to fail. And I think that's what happens all the time. In fact, you know, and I totally would agree with you. And it's interesting until you talk about supermarkets because um, you may or may not be aware of this, but about two or three years ago, Morrison started a, a autism-friendly morning on a Saturday morning for a couple of hours in, in their stores because they realised that for some people, shopping with children who had autism was very difficult because it was overstimulating and also, you know, some of the children would react to things such as noises taking place, tannoys going off and some of the lights were... So they'd made the sort of like the store that much more so there's no tannoys on for a couple of hours on Saturday morning and they'd made the lights really lower and they've really tried to make it an experience which is less stimulating so families can take their children there on Saturday morning. And therefore also, you know, possibly there's less bystanders judging families if if incidents do take place. Now, if a store like Morrison's can do that, and I believe other stores are following suit, and they're becoming more aware and more neurodiverse, you know, alert, if you like, then I think it's it's certainly something that we shouldn't be transferring into schools in a more holistic way. I think Tesco's (coughs) have those lanyards you could buy, which on one hand I think it's great, on the other hand I think it's not great, because you're kind of labelling yourself as I am different, which not everyone's comfortable with. My nephew doesn't want to be known as different. So Mm. you shouldn't have to wear a lanyard to be... Mm. But then there are other supermarkets, and I can't remember if it's a shopping supermarket, uh, clothes shopping, or I can't remember, it's a shop, but you can have two colour baskets. Mm. Mm. One is leave me alone. Yeah. One is I'd like help. Yeah. And you can literally walk in... Yeah. And make a decision. And the things like that are just great. Because I hate people going, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. I'm yeah. just looking for what I want. Yeah. Leave me alone. Yeah. Go somewhere else. That's an excellent. I haven't heard of that. But, you know, these are the sort of things that I think are are going to be very helpful. That can make someone very uncomfortable. Uh, or, um, you know, can I help you? And if you, if you ask someone with autism, can I help you? They'll probably say... No, <laughs> because, you know, they're not going to get the nuance, the fact that what you're trying to say is, are you okay? And, you know, is there anything like, you know, they'll just basically say no, or they'll probably say no or yes, you know, because it's a direct question. We're always going to get quirks, things that you're not going to get right, but small changes, as we all know, can make big differences. Yeah. And something, as you're saying, with the shopping baskets and, and like that is can be a major difference. I think I'd like one of the shopping baskets myself, the ones that say. <laughs> Leave me alone. Leave me alone. I carry it everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but there is, I was just remembering a Simpsons episode, and I can't remember the storyline. I think it was somebody was taking someone around a supermarket, giving them all the tips. Mm. And the tip was, look for the checkout with the attractive lady and the very long line of men. They're like, but look how long the line is. Went, yeah, but watch, none of them will actually talk to her. <laughs> it's the quickest queue in the world. <laughs> the Simpsons 
does observe society sometimes in a very interesting way. And it is. You, you see these observations and you just, you might not know the reason, mm. but there are reasons for things like that and there are yeah. traits and lots of different yeah. things. Yeah. yeah, it's just being accepted. We shouldn't have to have a lanyard to say, I'm different. I treat you like this way, I'll treat you like this way. No, you should treat everyone yeah. with... In, in all of these terms we're talking about, ADHD, dyslexia, autism, opposition to violence, so there's mild, moderate, and severe. And, you know, there will be some people who will need more help than others. Some people will be mildly different. And therefore, we also as a society need to react to that accordingly. And I think just to, to balance out what I'm saying, I, I get um, asked a lot about, you know, say, for example, a family needs to go to uh, I don't know, Orson Towers or to Disneyland, whatever, you know, is a child, for example, with ADHD that has problems with impulse control and, and waiting and things like that, should they get a fast pass? This is a question I get a lot, you know, about whether they should go into the disability queue, like someone in a wheelchair. Now, I think if there's a child, for example, who the family has not been able to ever leave the house and could never go to a place and could never queue in any way, such as form, then possibly there's an option for them to go and get a fast pass. But if it's a child who's more mild to moderate, then to a certain extent, what we need to be also doing is saying that he or she will need to adapt, if you like, to some of the conditions that are in the world. So, for example, if you're on the M25, and, you know, you're going to need to stay, you can't go down the hard shoulder or go across onto the other road. If, if you're in a queue, you, you have to react. What I think we should be doing also is is getting the balance. And so if someone, and the answer to something is more mild to moderate, if they're in the queue, then we give them something to do while they're waiting that makes sense or they you know they're able to listen to something on their on their on their iphone or they're able to fiddle with something in the queue so what we're trying to do is is minimize you know the the experience of waiting by giving them something to do at the same time with squaring because i think if we all go too far on the other side so everyone goes into the gets the fast pass thing that's not going to help either that makes sense yeah. what we're trying to do is 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 bring everyone along so we have an inclusive society but in certain instances, if someone's very extreme, could never leave the house, could never sit, you know, and it would just be, then I think there is some scope for that. But I think yeah. the balance of this is something that we will need to sort of work through and address throughout, not just with schools, but in society in, in, in general. If you've got to go around the M25, you're either going to not go at that time yeah. or you accept. Yeah. And it's kind of... It's a rule-based system. Yeah. Or you put the radio on, or you listen to a podcast. This podcast would be an excellent podcast to listen to if you're stuck <laughs> on the M25. But what you can't do is, uh, obviously, be careful about playing on your phone. Yes, we not follow the not rules. driving seat. We need to follow the rules all times, really. But I think playing this podcast while you're stuck in the queue on the M25 would be an excellent way of passing the time before you um, get onto the M3 and, and home to wherever you're going. Yeah, and there is lots around that. And I suppose... With all of this, a lot of time when we think about neurodiversity and we're thinking in this sort of world, we're thinking about kind of reducing that behaviour incidence. So, yeah. it, but that's not really the aim. The reason we want to reduce the behaviour incidence is the behaviour incidence get in the way of the learning, doesn't it? Uh, very much so. I mean, you know, we are talking fundamentally of, of uh, you know, the behaviour usually is a reaction to a learning issue not being here to, or in my experience, a socialization issue not being understood by the party. So the behavior usually is a consequence of that. If we could 
you know, get the learning in a more sort of in perspective and, and get more differentiation to a certain extent in that in a school. But also, crucially, what I'm really emphasising today more so is in a socialisation view. So when it's between the pupils and pupils, I think because, as I said before, if you have SEN, neurodiversity, you are three times more likely to be a target than a than traditional learner. And we need to be trying to reduce the the consequences, if you like, of those issues taking place. Uh, and I think that's why I think we need to reach out and make sure we get all the pupils involved in this message about what it is and also all the parents, you know, as best we can, you know, along with everything else we have to do. I do accept that. But uh, I, I think that will help everybody. Uh, it will improve the quality of life in both learning and, and in socialisation. If we go back to uh, Tom, the uh, football person who's a surgeon, is he's possibly neurodiverse, which I have met him, so various things like that, but he's a surgeon. So he's obviously rather gifted and he's very good and he was doing really well, but he didn't enjoy school. So this, this, these small changes can make that person enjoy school more. And there's probably lots of people may be gifted, may not be, and not enjoying school because that school might say it's inclusive but isn't really inclusive. It's not a whole student's thing. It's not the parents. It needs a wider. Bullying, as you know, is that we've done a, a podcast on bullying before and I think it's something I take. It's a real uh, important issue for me to be talking about in order to reduce the implications of it because I think if any of you here today were bullied at school, it's almost certainly because you were perceived as different in one shape or another and it, it could have been a physical difference you could have been very tall you could have been very short you could have had red hair but it, you know it is often the case you know by the way red hair is very good I might got twin boys with red hair and um they had a bit of teasing I think it would be uh, year six and year seven at secondary school but then they both played rugby and then you know that seemed to have the, the desired effect they had credibility I suppose but I think if you looked the same but you were neurodiverse and you were different and people teased you or because you didn't quite pick up the sort of rhythms of what's going on around you in the socialization sense or in a learning sense it will have something that will have been stayed it will have stayed with you and uh, I find this all the time that people say yes you know this this wasn't you know this didn't take place and I think what we want to try and do is um is obviously reduce the risk of that in all society but certainly you know in schools now so we don't have those issues occurring over again. You mentioned ginger hair, and I think back to my childhood, and there were ginger children in my school who were bullied for their hair. I, I think, yeah. from well, yeah. I obviously not been in a child situation school thing, but talking to my children, I think that's much more reduced. There's not going on. And I think of the other reasons children were bullied back in my youth. And again, those conversations, that's never mentioned by my daughter. So I think it's a much greater understanding and it's that bystanders thing. I think we go back to school. You know, if you knew someone who was more effeminate as a lad, for example, he was had a terrible time. Yep. And I think now, you, you know, I'm not saying that's not going to happen sometimes, some individuals, but you get the bystanders far more proactive. Now. Yeah. And that is a definite. You know, it might not be you get everyone, but you get the bystanders. People are so much more open-minded about that, why that person 
is acting or you know in that or that's his preference you know or her preference and and i think that's what we want to try and get across in this area too it's that greater understanding it's not to say we're going to get it right all the time here we're never going to get it right all the time but we are i think um improving and when i will say when people say the good old days I, i really do question that statement you know were they really as good as we think they are you know for example we know that children are safer now we are far more open-minded to diversity suitcases have wheels on them now these days they didn't in the past it's so much better now than it used to be i think i think when i think of good old days i often think about the stupid things i did so jumping on the bus because there wasn't a door when you used to pull into victoria station you used to be able to open the door while it was still moving and yeah. stupid things people got hurt so it's probably yeah. best they're gone yeah, yeah i mean i think there'll, there'll be some you know we have the idea about leaving the door open and you know in the park for hours and hours and hours you know and there are some things that and maybe you know the, the, the computers weren't as around but you know the thing is that and there were some differences you know and you can only play what's in front of you but i would definitely say if you have neurodiversity issues you are so much better off being, I think, in school in this generation than you were in a generation before. Definitely. Well, thank you for coming on the show today, Fintan. My pleasure, as always, Dale. Fintan's probably some useful website links, which and I'll be adding these to the show notes. So I can see here we've got uh, four ways to support neurodiversity in the classroom, resources for students, the bullying problem, various things. So have a look on the show notes and you can find those links. I'll also be sharing Finton's contact details so you can get in contact with him. So you'll find the show notes on our website, www.thesendcast.com. Thank you for listening to the show. If you haven't subscribed already, please subscribe. You can find links to subscribe across different podcast platforms on our website. Please follow us on social media. On Twitter, we are at The Sendcast. On Facebook, we are The Sendcast. And on Instagram, we are The Sendcast. If you're listening to us through Apple Podcasts or iTunes, please leave us a review and let others know what you think. Before we go, I'd just like to remind you to check out the Training for Education website. You will find a number of the guests on the Sendcast are speakers at our virtual Send conference, or like Finton, they have recorded their own training course. Training for Education is a great way to get CPD for all staff around SEND that is effective and affordable visit www.trainingforeducation.com for more information. As an exclusive gift to Sendcast listeners, you can get 10% discount on the virtual Send conferences, future or past, by using the code SENDCAST10. Thank you for listening. We'll be back soon with another episode of the Sendcast. Goodbye from me. And goodbye from me.